So what happens when you combine my insane curiosity with some of the world's most interesting people? You end up with incredible conversations full of stories, insights, and the defining moment that made them who they are today. This is The David Spizak Show. Hi, I'm David Spizak, and thanks so much for taking the time to listen. You know, typically on my podcast, as you all know, if you've heard any of my previous episodes, I'm either going to be interviewing people that I'm in search of wanting to know what is it that allows them to live an extraordinary life. And if anybody has listened to me at all over the course of the last few years, you know that I've tended to be hyper-focused on one word, uncommon, uncommon, because I believe that each and every one of us is truly uncommon. And that's a byproduct of where we grew up. It's a byproduct of that which is innate in us. It's our attributes, our personal attributes. It's our personality traits. It's the lessons we've learned. It's the mentors that we've had in our life. It's our work experiences and so many other things that make us truly unique and and one of one. And so I'm typically normally interested in learning as much as I can about what is it that made each person uncommon and what allowed them to be able to move from where they were at any given time to the extraordinary life they're living today. In other podcasts, it's just me and I'm sharing information that I've learned over the course of my life. You know, things that I've learned through difficulties, through adversity, rejection, defeats, and also successes that I've had, things that I've learned through mentors, people that are much wiser than I am, who are kind enough to take the time to share, to impart their wisdom with me, to experiences I've had personally that have allowed me over the course of my 62 years and my 45 plus years in the workforce to be able to accomplish some pretty nice things. And I want to share those things, whether it's from a parent's point of view or whether it's from a personal point of view or professional point of view, so that each and every listener in return for the investment that they're making of their time, that I deliver some real value that will allow them literally minutes after they finish listening to an episode to, to do things that will allow them to move forward towards their best life, towards the best version of them, towards their destiny that they've wanted so much for so long. But today, I'm going to do a bit of a pivot. You see, I've spent the last 40 years of my life doing a lot of things, but most of my time has been spent within the automotive space. I spent 25 years in the retail automotive space inside of a dealership. I started out right out of the military and I got into a manager's position, quickly was able to elevate myself by simply outworking, out hustling, out grinding everybody else into better performance. And through that, I continued to be able to elevate very quickly until ultimately I was a general manager running a store. And from there, I moved up to ultimately becoming a dealer myself and spending eight years as an executive for a Fortune 100 company, a multi-billion dollar company called AutoNation. And in that course of time, at those 25 years, man, I learned a lot. One of the things I learned was the power of data. 
and how you could leverage data and rely on that data to make better decisions and gain critical insights so that you could in turn outperform any individual, any department, any store, any competitor. And that's exactly what we did. And I became known for being associated with that. You see, it wasn't just me, but I was smart enough to learn to hire people smarter than I was and then simply give them the tools, the insight, the information, the support they needed to go do what they were naturally great at doing. And through that, we were able to create the greatest dealership story in the history of this business. And in doing so, we literally outperformed the majority of dealerships by a factor of 10 to 15 times when it came to net profit. But not only that, we had the lowest turnover, less than 3% in an industry at the time that had over 80% annual turnover. And that means that we took care of our people. Our people, our culture came first. And we didn't take care of them because we made a lot of money. We made a lot of money because we took care of them. So what I'm doing in today's podcast and in future podcasts is I want to focus on the area where I've spent 40 years of my life. It's automotive. But here's the good news. Stay tuned. Keep listening because I'm going to do this in a way that while it focuses on the automotive business, the retail automotive side of the business, I'm going to be still teaching lessons, imparting lessons, imparting experiences that are completely applicable regardless of what business you're in, regardless of whether you're a manager in a huge business or whether you're an entrepreneur in a relatively small business. There's also going to continue to be personal lessons that you can count on, rely on, that will continue to help you. The minute that you stop listening at the end of the podcast episode, yes, you'll still be able to take those lessons and do something that's going to positively impact your life. Now, today, I want to talk to you about Carvana. And most of you have heard about Carvana, whether you're in the car business or not. Why? Well, because you see those commercials with those vending machines. You know, they have this shtick, if you will you know, this uh, calling card, if you will, that they came up with this concept of this vending machine. They also are noteworthy for something else. They really were the first company that allowed people to be able to not only search and select vehicles online, but you could look at a 360 degree view of that car inside and out. You could virtually inspect it. You could buy the car online without ever seeing the car. And then it just simply showed up in your driveway and man, didn't that sound great? And it did sound great to some people. And they sold a fair amount of cars. They've sold a fair amount of cars doing that. But what I want to talk to you about is what I think is a cautionary tale that applies to any business, whether you're an online business or not. Because this cautionary tale is going to focus on the fact that at the end of the day, regardless of your business, the size of your business, what industry that you operate in, it still has to be fundamentally sound. It still needs to be profitable. Yes, it still needs to live up to every promise that it makes a customer. And it needs to be viable for the long term. 
You see, we've seen a lot of businesses come and go over the last few decades since the advent of e-commerce. And if you remember the dot-com bubble bursting, the original dot-com 1.0, we had a lot of companies out there that had spectacular ideas and concepts that sounded so great to us as consumers. But because of either a lack of cash or excessive cash burn and inability to fulfill the promises they made to their consumers or for a number of other reasons, those businesses ultimately failed. Some of those businesses also made so many promises to their employees. Boy, and they did some great things. They offered free healthcare. They offered free on-site uh, uh, daycare for, for people's kids. They had ping pong tables and billiards tables and pinball machines or video games. They had free food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the only thing they never thought about is, can we afford all those things? You see, while all those things sounded really great to those employees in the moment, every employee ultimately would have rather traded away some of those benefits for being able to have stability and being able to rely on that company, being able to pay them for the long term. But that didn't happen. And those companies went out of business. They simply could not achieve a level of profitability or cash flow that allowed them to continue forward as a business. What does that have to do with Carvana? Everything. You see, Carvana started out with a great concept in mind. And that is to make it as easy and transparent for somebody to buy a car online as possible. Tremendous idea. And a lot of people were all over that idea. And it makes sense. Who wouldn't want to save time buying a car? Who wouldn't want to have transparency and shared control of the process? And so a lot of people started moving towards that. And something happened. It created market validation. It was able to prove that concept and people started getting excited. Ultimately, it went public, I think, around the year 2017 at $15 a share. This is noteworthy. Keep that number in mind. $15 a share. Well, I'll tell you right now, it's noteworthy because that's about the same price it is today. $15 a share. It recently sunk into the $12 range, and it has since bounced back into the $14 and now around $15 a share, depending on when you're hearing this particular podcast. But a whole lot has happened between the time it came out at $15 at IPO and the time it's at $15 today. You see, it was just a little bit more than a year ago that that same stock hit $360 a share making its founders or co-founders, Ernie Garcia II and Ernie Garcia III, multi-billionaires. And during that period, period of time, they did sell off some of their equity and they were able to realize a massive gain. Massive. With a B. But since that time, the company has faltered consistently. As I sit here today, the stock price is off 96% from one year ago. And what makes that even more noteworthy is I could say the same thing a month ago and the same thing two months ago. In other words, it just keeps falling 
and there doesn't seem to be a recovery in sight. Now, why is that? And here's the cautionary tale. You see, the challenge is, I believe, is with the business model. They're competing against dealers, franchise dealers, new car dealers, independent used car dealers, those little mom and pop used car lots on the corner. And while they have some massive advantages, like a multi-year head start in terms of this online transparent approach uh, to buying a car, but they also have some things to where they're simply not able to be competitive. Elements that are important that allow a normal dealership to be able to achieve a level of ongoing profitability and cash flow. Things like a parts and service department. And that parts and service department doesn't just generate revenue. No, it does so much more than that. It allows those dealers to create an ongoing relationship during the ownership cycle, the ownership life cycle for that customer. You see, when they buy the car, in all likelihood, they're going to keep that car at least three, four, five years or longer. The average age of a car in the United States today is over 12 years old. Well, who's fixing those cars? Well, sure, some people are going to go to Jiffy Lubes, are going to go to independent mechanics, but many of them still rely on new car dealers. Why? Well, because they use superior equipment. Why? Because they have the highest trained technicians in the industry. Why? Because they use factory quality graded parts. Why? Because the, the warranty on those parts is better than when I buy an aftermarket part and get it uh, approved or rather installed by a technician at an independent facility. So during the course of that ownership life cycle, I'm able to create a relationship, nurture relationship that guess what? Gives me the ability to potentially sell that client another car and another car and cars to their families, cars to their coworkers. But when I'm buying a car online, that doesn't exist. The parts and service business doesn't exist to that same level, not even close. And why is that important? Well, because parts and service departments help to offset the fixed cost of a dealership's organization. If I don't have that, where am I going to get that money to offset those expenses? Well, the reality is I can't. Dealerships also are going to get trade-ins from those previous clients. That doesn't exist in a Carvana scenario. And there's a lot of other issues. The cost of acquiring a car. If I got to buy my cars at the auction, I'm going to pay more. I'm going to pay auction fees. I'm going to pay transportation to get the car back to where it needs to go, plus the reconditioning. If I get that car on a trade-in, I don't have to pay for all of those additional fees or pass those fees along to my clients. You see, there's a perception that when I go online to buy from somebody like Carvana or Vroom, that somehow I'm going to get a superior price. But that's simply not the case. If you look into the data, there's no big price advantage for the consumer. But what the consumer loves is the transparency. What they love is feeling like they have shared control. And those things are great. But what a customer really wants is also a great ownership experience. They want somebody to stand behind the car. They want somebody to help them if they're having issues with paperwork or registration. And that's another challenge for Carvana. You see, they've ran into problems with the state of Michigan, the state of Illinois, the state of North Carolina, the state of Florida. 
because they have failed in their responsibility to deliver either registration or titles to their clients within the reasonable period of time that's allowed by law. And in some of those cases, they did some things that were clearly outside the law. And as a result, they were shut down by a number of states, at least for a period of time. My issue with all of that, people make mistakes, you run into speed bumps, but you got to own it, man. If you make a mistake in your business and it's going to happen, you've got to own it. You've got to step up. You've got to tell that customer, hey, that's on me. I've got you. I'll take care of this. Because the truth is, sometimes it's the customers that we mess up their situation. We mess up their experience that if we step up and take ownership of it, they become some of the best customers that we have. They actually become advocates because they know what you're made of. I don't know if every client knows what Carvana is made of, or maybe better said, if they like what they see so far when they run into those types of situations. And at this point, we've got an even bigger situation brewing, I think, at Carvana, right? We have a balance sheet that is not in very good shape. It's not healthy. They're carrying a ton of debt. They don't have shareholder equity left They're going to probably have to raise capital. They're burning a half a billion dollars every year. And they don't seem to have the resources to withstand that over the long haul. As I sit here today speaking with you, guess what? Just like it happens for every business, the economy shifts, the industry shifts, interest rates are rising, inflation is persisting, gas prices continue to be higher than they were a year ago. And all of that is adding up to a softening, a cooling off in the used car market. Don't get me wrong. Everything's going to turn out fine for a lot of dealers because they're taking the actions necessary in order to make the adjustments necessary to be able to keep their business in a position to be able to stay profitable somehow, some way. But for Carvana, the reality is, you know, we've seen a huge decline in used car values. And they've got a whole lot of used car inventory, millions and millions of dollars that sits on their books today that in all likelihood is worth a whole lot less than it was 60 days ago. They have a fair percentage, a big percentage of their inventory that's 60 days uh, old or older. And that looms large because that typically means either a significant reduction in margin, gross profit which they've already started to experience this year, or wholesale loss, which is going to have a direct impact on their bottom line profitability, of which they have none. So if I have a situation as a a business and my balance sheet is not in good shape, I'm heavy on debt, light on equity, difficult for me to raise capital, burning a ton of money every single month, not profitable, how is this movie going to end? Well, I think that all things are on the table. I think bankruptcy might end up being an option down the road at some point. I'm not saying that's imminent and I'm not saying it may not, it may not happen at all, but it's a distinct possibility. I think there's a possibility that somebody may come along and say, wow, at this value, they've dropped from North of 50 billion as a company value to less than 3 billion. 
Maybe somebody comes along and decides it's the right time to buy that company and their infrastructure and some of the things they've built, their IP, for example. Maybe that happens. But one way or another, something's going to have to happen going forward, I believe, in order for this company to remain viable long term. Because I believe that as it pertains to their end of the business, the used car side of the business, I don't see things getting easier. It's not going to be easier to acquire inventory. Cars, I think in terms of the margins of used cars, are going to continue to be um, in, a, in a reduction mode. Uh, it's going to be harder to have retained profitability. Cash flow is going to continue to be an issue. So if you're sitting here listening to this right now, there's a number of things that you could take away. Number one, hey, if I'm an investor, if I'm looking to invest my hard-earned money in a stock, is this where I want to place my money? I'm not so sure that's the case. Not until or unless the company proves that they have a path out of, of where they are right now. And right now, as we sit here, I don't see it. So you may be looking as an investor, you may be looking from an employee's perspective, you may be looking from a consumer's perspective. You know, am I going to buy a car from a company that I don't have confidence they may or may not be here two or three or four years down the road? Not saying they will, I'm not saying they won't. But I think it's fair for anybody to have that thought, to wonder what's possible. If you're looking at it from a company owner's perspective, you know, this is a cautionary tale. This is an opportunity to look at your business, look at the structure of your business. Because at the end of the day, we've seen this over and over and over again with companies like FAIR and companies like WeWork and companies like that, where they had great concepts. They had the ability to reach people. They had data and they could acquire clients. The one thing they weren't able to do is make money. And that seems to be the number one thing that should be on the mind of every business. It should be the number one focus of every business is to achieve profitability so that they can absolutely ensure both their employees and their clients that they're going to be here for the long haul. And we know who a lot of those companies are today. We know those companies because they have healthy balance sheets, because they have quarterly profitability or monthly profitability, because they have an, a, a healthy uh, amount of cash on hand to weather the storm. So I hope that this has been beneficial to you because I believe that you're going to be able to continue to watch Carvana from here on out. And I believe that whether you're a small business, an entrepreneur, a medium-sized business, or a manager in a very large business, that there's going to be some tremendous lessons and takeaways. I just hope that those lessons don't come at the expense, ongoing expense of their investors or their people or their clients, because all three of those deserve better than that. I'm David Spizak. Thanks for listening.
You've been listening to The David Spizak Show. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button and leave a rating wherever you're listening right now. I look forward to having you back in the room where it happens. We'll be right back.